This weekend, Scott Volk was with us at fire school. Cindy and I had a chance to just attend that and take in a Friday night and all-day Saturday class. And we loved the topic, the, the theme of shepherding God's flock, the, the pastoral heart that's not just for pastors, but for all of us as we care and, and reach out with the love of Jesus. So just a, a powerful time to, to hear Scott teach. And he's a new friend of ours through fire school and Jeff and Carol Hubing and, and their team. But I'm excited to present him to you today to preach the word of God. He's got a pastor's heart. He loves serving in the kingdom of God, a mission heart as, they may, as he may share some of their connection with together and their leadership together for Israel. But I want you to invite our guest today, Scott Volk. Will you help me welcome him to the pulpit this morning? Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. You can, um, if you guys don't mind, can you keep the treasure theme up there? Uh, just at least for a minute. As Autumn was leading us this morning in worship, uh, I, who am not typically given to pictures, uh, saw treasure chests. It was like a, like a, those it's like treasures, uh, but a, a treasure chest. That's what, that's what I saw. But uh, as you guys are going through the theme of treasured, it is obvious that because you are sons and daughters of God, you are his treasure. That's, that's a truth. Whether you believe it or not, you are treasures. However, you may not feel that treasure part of who you are and um, as we were worshiping I saw this these treasure chests with these locks on the front of them and the treasure inside was not able to be used because you were locked inside and uh, I believe that today, God wants those locks unlocked so that you can move and function the way that he intended you to move and to function because the world needs you. <laughs> this church needs you. Your community needs you. And the theme that the Lord put on my heart for this morning is a theme I don't often preach on, but I woke up this morning with it. It's the theme of forgiveness. And I believe that unforgiveness is a lock that keeps you from being free to be the treasure that God created you to be. Now, he sees you as treasured. Those of you who are serving in this church, it's awesome that there's going to be a, a little something afterwards just to celebrate and to thank those who serve. I encourage all of you to serve. Whether you feel treasured or not, serving is one way that you get to fulfill God's call. Look for ways to serve. But I specifically want to speak to those today who feel like they've not been able to be released. And I want to pose this to you. That if there is bitterness and unforgiveness in our lives, 
we will never be able to live up to the potential that God created us to live in. So, Lord, I just pray that you would take these minutes, that you would supplement these human words with your spirit, and that you would move and unlock treasure chests today. I pray for freedom for those who walked in this place in chains. And I pray, great God, that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Open in your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 6. I'm in Israel multiple times a year. One of my favorite places that never gets old is the Mount of Beatitudes. It's still there today. To be able to take a boat ride on the Sea of Galilee and to walk up this hill area to the place where Jesus, thanks bro, where Jesus spoke to his disciples the most amazing sermon ever recorded. And in the midst of this sermon, he teaches his disciples how to pray. It's the only prayer he taught his disciples. And I just want to read it together. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 through 15. Jesus, the Lord says, pray then in this way. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. This is the line I want you to remember. And forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. And then verse 14, it's really interesting because in this prayer there are so many themes daily bread, the kingdom of God. But there's one thing that Jesus reiterates. And he says this, for if you forgive others their transgressions, do you hear that? Their transgressions. (laughs) Sound like a squeaky lady. For if you forgive others their transgressions, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive, then your heavenly Father will not forgive you. Now, God's not sitting in heaven with his arms crossed saying, they're not forgiving, so I'm not going to forgive them. As a matter of fact, as he hung on the cross and died, he said, Father, forgive them. Everything about Jesus, everything about God the Father is forgiveness and love. But can I say this? If you refuse to forgive, or if you choose not to forgive, or if you don't rely on God for his grace to forgive, you can't experience God's forgiveness for you. And therefore, you will be trapped in a locked treasure chest and unable to function like God called you to function. So Jesus teaches us to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Can I give you the Scott Volk paraphrase? 
Jesus wants us to pray that God would forgive us to the same degree that we forgive one another. And you're praying that. Forgive me to the same degree that I forgive those who hurt me. And that is a incredible prayer. Because when people hurt us, when the ones we love the most turn their back on us, when we're gossiped against, when we're slandered against, it hurts. Copy down this quote this morning while I was preparing. C.S. Lewis said this, everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until you have something to forgive. My life was radically changed <clears throat> when I received the Lord in the summer of 1975. So 41 years ago. I'm really 78 years old, but I don't look it, do I? No, I'm only teasing. I was nine. I was nine when I accepted the Lord. Uh, actually, 10. 51 years old today. Uh, not today, I guess. I'm 51 today, but it's not my birthday. <laughs> but if you want to give me a birthday gift, <clears throat> free lunch. Thank you, Pastor Chip. <clears throat> I'm 51. There are three significant things that have happened in my life. One, I was saved. Two, I was married. And three, God touched me supernaturally at the Brownsville Revival. And I want to tell you what happened. 1988, I got married. Beautiful wife, Beth, and I went down to Scottsdale, Arizona to serve in a church that my father was pastoring. After about seven years of us being there, 1995, things started going a little bit awry in the church. I'm very pastoral in nature. I'm very relational. I knew everybody in the church, about four or 500 people. And then one of the elders' wives and my mother had a conflict with each other. And uh, before long, all of the elders' wives were now against my mother. And my dad received a letter from the elders of the church. He was only the second pastor ever to pastor there. He received a letter from the elders of the church. We can no longer support you as our pastor. Devastating. For about six months, it's a very, very long story. Suffice it to say that my dad ended up having to leave. I'm and, and I stood with my father. There was no sin issue involved. But it's a, I don't need to get into the particulars. But I was handed a letter in my office. I lived in a church-owned home on the property. And I was handed this letter. Dear Scott... Because of your rebellion and insubordination to the God-given authorities of this church, you have eight hours to be out of your office and 30 days to be out of your house. Sincerely, the elders. Now, I got to tell you something. That hurt bad. I would be in the grocery store walking down an aisle and seeing somebody come the other way that was part of our church who used to love me, I loved them, and I would see them take their cart and turn the other way because they didn't want to pass me and, 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 
and have to talk. Kids whose, whose graduation services I went to. Weddings that I performed. Families whose funeral services I officiated. All of a sudden, they wouldn't even look at me. The church split right in half. Right in half. I ended up leaving. All I can tell you was this. I thought to myself, I'm done serving in churches. Because all that ever happens is people get hurt. And I'm just checking out. I got a job selling long distance and internet. Made more money than I've ever made in my life. I was miserable. And then Mike Brown invites me to come visit him in Pensacola, Florida. Brownsville Assembly of God, there was a revival going on. I brought my golf clubs because I wanted a golf. And I walked into the meeting the first night. Some of you may not know what happened down there, but all I, all I can say is God moved supernaturally in that church for a number of years. People would show up at the church at 6 in the morning to stand in line in order to get into the church for a 7 p.m. service at night. How many of you went to Brownsville? Any? Very, very few. You can... It's phenomenal. People from all over the world. All over the world. And God moved mightily saving people. I remember seeing people running up to the altar throwing condoms or guns or knives or pornographic magazines. Those people are serving the, serving the Lord in the nations now on the mission field. Prostitutes getting saved. Amazing stories. There's a story of a... There's a story of a uh, of a model coming into town for a photo shoot for a really not so good magazine. And when she gets in the taxi, she goes, uh, any good things happening in Pensacola? The taxi driver says, I could take you to a place where something's happening. <laughs> Takes her to Brownsville Assembly of God. She's up at the altar that night giving her life to the Lord. Or, or the guy that's sitting in the balcony, Big Patrick, he's a bouncer at a bar. And the guy who's preaching, Steve Hill, points up to the balcony, says something like, you know, tonight's your last chance. He comes running down, <laughs> bouncer in a bar, now serving the Lord in a church. I mean, incredible stories. Well, I walked into this church, and I didn't know anybody. And I sat down. There was a seat that was reserved for me in the front row. It had my name on it, spelled correctly. <laughs> And as I sat down, I felt the presence of the Lord. Now, let me just tell you something. I'm not one given to feeling the presence of the Lord. Somebody goes, man, do you feel that? I'm like, no. Man, you see that? No. I felt the presence of the Lord. I put my head in my hands. I said, God, I need a touch from you. Because I was bitter and angry I felt like I was locked in a, a chest, unable to really be who God called me to be. And I've only had two open visions in my life. I shared one of them with the class this weekend. I'll give you the other one. This was the vision. I put my head in my hands. I said, Lord, I need a touch from you. And in front of my eyes, I was standing in front of the church that kicked me out asking them to forgive me for harboring bitterness and unforgiveness in my heart. 
I said, Lord, (laughs) wait a second. They should come groveling to me to ask me to forgive them. And this is what the Lord said to me. And I wrote it in the margin of my Bible. He said, Scott, I can't fill you with what you need unless you empty yourself of what you have. And I was filled with bitterness and unforgiveness. And I said, Lord, you're going to have to do this. I can't do this on my own. The last night I was there, Mike Brown brought the pastor of the church over to me. Thousands and thousands of people there. And I've never, I've never fallen when people prayed for me. Not, I'm just not that way. And I've got some stories, but there's no time to tell the stories. This pastor walked over to me. Mike Brown looks at him. He said, Pastor Kilpatrick, this is my friend Scott Volk. He's been through a horrific church situation in Arizona, and he needs a touch from God. He breathed something into my ear, whispered something. I didn't, didn't, I, I can't even remember what it was. All I know is that I was face down on the ground. I had never fallen or had been unable to stand before. I don't know what you think about that. I'm not big. On, I don't, it doesn't matter to me whether people fall or not when they pray, get prayed for. All I can say this is this. If mountains melt like wax in the presence of the Lord, when God comes, I'm not sure any of us are really capable of, of standing. All I know is for the first time in my life, I was unable to stand and I was on the ground. I wasn't shaking. I wasn't laughing. I wasn't crying. But when I went to stand up, it was as if this elephant was on my back and I made my way into the front pew. I sat down and all of a sudden, uncontrollable tears coming out of my eyes because I realized that God did something for me. Because that time, you know, I had been prayed for numerous times that weekend and I was more concerned about not falling than I was receiving from God. So people would pray for me. You know, I'd be standing like this, like, dude, you can pray for me, but I'm not falling down. I've been around the charismatic stuff that really kind of bothered me. I, I remember I went to school at Christ for the Nations in Dallas, Texas, and the guy speaking said, all right, everybody in that back section, stand up. Woo! How many of you want a touch from God? Maybe 500 of us, and we're waving our hands. <laughs> and he said, when I say three, the Holy Spirit's going to come on you. My eyes are closed. My hands are up. He goes, one, two, three. My eyes are closed. My hands up. And I hear, boom, 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 boom. And I look around, and nobody's standing except me. <laughs> I'm like, wow, I think the Lord forgot about me. <laughs> we were at, we were at a, a church in Dallas. My, my roommate and I, Brian Beebe, we were there. And uh, we were just visiting. It was a small church, a woman pastor. She comes over to me. She goes, oh, we've got a visitor today. You know, what's your name? I said, my name is Scott. She goes, Scott, would you like a touch from the Lord? I said, sure. So she starts praying for me. And somebody stands behind me. Another person has a towel next to me, like, like a troubadour. And uh, she, she goes, um, she starts praying for me, and she puts her hand on my head. And she's, I mean, I'm, I'm like this. And the guy, I think, is ready to catch me. And she goes, she goes, uh, brother, you're resisting the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I said, sister, I'm not strong enough to resist the Holy Spirit. You're trying to push me. I mean, I don't know. I was 18. What else am I going to say? 
So she, she was done praying for me, but then she went over to my friend Brian. She goes, what's your name? He said, Brian. He goes, would you like it? She goes, would you like a touch from the Lord? She goes, he goes, yeah. And she goes like this. And before she touches him, he goes down, boom. And he's on the floor and one eye opens up. And he's just looking around. Then he sits down. I said, dude, did you feel anything? He said, no. I said, well, why did you fall? He goes, I didn't want to go through what you went through. So as people are praying for me in Pensacola, they're coming over. I'm like, dude, I'm not going down. Well, when the pastor came over to me and prayed for me, all I can say is the Lord, before he prayed for me, he said, do nothing. Don't let your mind get in the way of receiving what I want to do. I raised my hands. He prayed for me. Unfortunately, because I had never fallen before, I didn't know to fall backwards. <laughs> Where the guy was waiting for me, I went down <laughs> like a tree. My face is on the air conditioning vent, and I'm like, what's going on? God, in one fell swoop, did for me what I couldn't do for myself when I said, Lord, I choose to forgive. And I stood up from that place a changed man. Now, let me just tell you something. I tried many times. <laughs> Lord, I forgive them. I forgive them. And then you hear something or you find out what's been spoken about you and you're actually now more angry than you were before you forgave them. I want to give you, out of the book of Genesis, if you open up to Genesis chapter 45, I want to give you five qualities of a person walking in forgiveness. And we're going to do this quickly. Treasures are no good use if they're locked and unaccessible. Today, God wants those treasure chests opened. And for you who need to be released into the full treasure that God wants you to be, I just want you to take note of this. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 45, story of Joseph's an amazing story. He, he has a vision from God. His brothers throw him into a pit. He's sold into slavery. And this is, what, 14 or 17 years later, he hasn't seen his brothers. Imagine seeing the ones who wronged you after no contact with them. Genesis chapter 45. Joseph's brothers are standing there and they don't know it's Joseph. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried. He said, have everyone go out from me. So there was no man with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. Imagine Joseph's in a room. All the Egyptian hierarchy is there. He sees his brothers he can't contain himself anymore. And rather than looking at the brothers and then looking at the higher-ups of Egypt and saying, these are the lowlifes that threw me into that pit, he had everyone leave. And then he revealed himself and said, I am Joseph. Point number one, you know you've forgiven when you no longer have to tell anyone what was done to you. When it's not that important anymore to expose the people who've hurt you, 
you're walking in forgiveness. Verse 2, Joseph wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard of it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed. Some versions say troubled. The King James says terrified. Duh, I'd be terrified too if I'm standing next to the guy that I threw into the pit and then lied to my father saying he was dead. Uh Uh-oh. But his brothers could not answer him, for they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, listen to this. Please come closer to me. And they came closer. Friend R.T. Kendall preached an amazing message on forgiveness. I encourage you to get it. Total forgiveness. He made this point. You will know that you've forgiven when you refuse to let the people who hurt you feel intimidated by you anymore. There's something powerful and strong about holding intimidation over people who've hurt you. You've really forgiven them when they no longer need to feel intimidated about being around you. And rather than pushing them away, you say, come closer. Come closer. Which, by the way, is exactly what Jesus does. Come closer. Joseph is a picture of Jesus. I think his brothers are a picture of Israel. Because Israel one day is going to look on him whom they have pierced and mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. They're going to realize this is Jesus, the Messiah. The way Joseph is now receiving his brothers is the way that that Jesus is going to receive backslidden Israel when Israel comes back to him. Verse 4, and he said, I'm your brother Joseph, whom you sold into into Egypt. Verse 5, do not be, listen to this, do not be grieved or angry. Verse 5, with yourselves, because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. You know that you've forgiven when you won't let the people who hurt you feel guilty for what they have done. Don't feel guilty. What did he say? Don't be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. Don't don't worry about what you did. Verse 6. For the famine has been in the land these two years. There are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. Listen to verse 7. Incredible verse. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant in the earth and to keep you alive. Point number four. Not only will you refuse to let them feel guilty, but you proclaim to them how God has worked in your life through it all. You know, the Bible says what the enemy meant for evil, God turns to good. There have been people who've hurt you, that have wrongly abused you. 
Some of you can't even forgive yourselves. Talk about a lock on a treasure chest. God says today's the day of freedom. Freedom comes in forgiveness. For if you will forgive, then the Lord will forgive you. And the last point, flip over to Genesis chapter 50. Genesis chapter 50. Now get a load of this. This is 18 years after Genesis 45. Okay? So it's 18 years later. 40 years after Joseph's been thrown into the pit. Genesis 50, verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph bears a grudge against us and pays us back in full for all the wrong which we did to him? You see, here's here's what the people who have sinned against you will say. Ah, that forgiveness is only temporary. Now there's a little bit of a problem in the brothers' eyes. Jacob is dead. So they're thinking, now that dad is gone, Joseph's going to get back at us. Because dad's not around. Joseph's going to get back at us. So they make up a little thing that isn't true about their father. Verse 16. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father charged us before he died saying, thus you shall say to Joseph, please forgive, I beg, the transgressions of your brothers and their sins for they did you wrong. That never happened. At least it's not recorded. They're drumming up a little bit of a scheme because they're afraid that Joseph's forgiveness was only temporary while the father was alive. And now, verse 17, please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Verse 18, then his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, behold, we are your servants, but Joseph. Ah, love that. But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in God's place? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people. And here it is, verse 21, my final point. So therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. Point number five, forgiveness is forever, lifelong. Doesn't end because you're walking in the character of Jesus, the Messiah. I have time to read one quick little story to you. Corey Ten Boone, amazing woman. Amazing woman. Just listen to the story. Uh, Corrie ten Boone's in a church in Germany. Now listen, she and her family were sent to a concentration camp by the Germans for, for harboring Jews. And in that concentration camp, she saw her sister Betsy die. And her mother and father perished. And now she's coming back to Germany after the war to speak on forgiveness. Listen to this story. It was in a church in Germany that I saw him. A balding, heavy-set man in a gray overcoat. A brown felt hat clutched between his hands. 
People were filing out of the basement room where I had just spoken. It was 1947, and I had come from Holland to defeated Germany with the message that God forgives. And that's when I saw him working his way forward against the others. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat. The next moment I remembered the blue uniform and a visored cap with its skull and crossbones. It came back to me with a rush. She's remembering. The huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. Betsy, how thin you were. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. And this man, the man that's walking towards her after she speaks on forgiveness, this man had been a guard at Ravensbrück concentration camp where we were sent. Can you imagine? This is what he says. He says, you mentioned Ravensbrück in your talk. I was a guard there. He obviously didn't remember, Corey. But since that time, he went on, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there. But I would like to hear it from your lips as well, Fraulein. And his hand came out. Will you forgive me? Looking at the, at the man who was responsible for the death of your sister and your parents... I stood there, I whose sins had every day to be forgiven and could not. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed like hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I ever had to do. For I had to do it, I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition, that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their transgresses, their trespasses, Jesus said, neither will your Father in heaven forgive yours. And still I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. <laughs> your will can function regardless of the temperature of your heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand, I can do that, but you've got to supply the feeling. And so, woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being bringing tears to my eyes. I'm, I'm feeling emotional because this is exactly what happened to me. It's like the Lord said, you choose to forgive and then let me do the work. Because I'm telling you by God's grace, I don't have an ounce of anger. And the story doesn't end where I ended it. I actually saw one of the guys who signed that letter to me just last year, 15 years after he wrote it. 
The next time, time I come back, if I do, I'll tell you the end of the story. <laughs> but listen, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. And this is what Corey said. I forgive you, brother. I cried with all my heart. <laughs> For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. Would you stand with me? Autumn, you can come on up. Today, you may be here and you might feel like that treasure locked in a treasure chest because you've been hurt. You've been wronged. It may have been in your church. It may have been in your family. It may have been from a parent. It may have been from a sibling. It may have been from a child or a grandchild. Today, God wants you to know that that treasure chest can be unlocked and you can fulfill the destiny that he has for you. I'm just going to trust Amber just to, Autumn, Amber, <laughs> Autumn, to lead, lead us in a song if there's anything on your heart. I want to pray. And while she's singing, if you're dealing with this, I'd love for you to come up and I just want to quickly pray for you. I don't want to belabor this, but in the same way that Peter and John said, such as I have, I give you, by God's grace, I am walking in forgiveness because he touched me. And I just want to extend that encouragement to you so go ahead and lead us father we love you and we bless you for your word and for joseph and for jesus and for Corey ten boone and for each one in this place today that will be free from bitterness and unforgiveness and unlocked into the destiny that you created them to walk in in jesus name Amen. If you need a touch from God in the area of bitterness or unforgiveness, I just want to invite you up. We're going to pray quickly, and we're going to have lunch together. So come on up.
By the way, if you're in this place and you do not know Jesus as King and Messiah, and you feel unworthy, he said, I've already forgiven you. You just need to walk in forgiveness and confess your sin because forgiveness happened on the cross. But in order to have fellowship with you, it requires you saying, I'm sorry, forgive me. I choose to accept the forgiveness of God. Today is the day of salvation. If you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. And if you don't know Jesus today, I just want to encourage you. Find Pastor Chip or Cindy or one of the leaders of the church. Come up, talk to us. We want to lead you into a life of freedom, a a, a treasure fully released, Extend your arms toward these folks. Guys who are standing up here, I just want you to open up your hands as if you're receiving something from the Lord. And I want to pray for you. And as I'm praying, I want you to put the face or faces of the ones who've hurt you as if they're standing right in front of you. And I want you, even as Corey Corey Ten Boone extended her hand, I just want you, as if they're standing in front of you, to say in your heart, I choose to forgive you. I choose to forgive you. They might never apologize to you. They probably won't apologize to you. But their apology does not keep, their lack of apology does not keep you locked in that treasure chest. Because you're unlocking the lock with forgiveness. I choose to forgive you. Father, look down on these precious ones. I pray, King Jesus, that you would do for them what they can't do for themselves. Lord, I pray that you would touch them. I pray that you would bring healing and forgiveness, your grace. Lord, may they walk freely, freely. Those who were once captives to bitterness and unforgiveness, may you be glorified. May you be glorified. Great God, do what no man can do and what no man can take credit for. And fill each one. Lord, as their hands are extended to you, may they experience the touch of God. The touch of God. 
the grace to forgive. Lord, whether they're ever, ever approached again by these ones who have hurt them, Lord, if it's themselves that they can't forgive, I choose to forgive. And then, Lord, supplement this act of will with your spirit. Great God, touch, touch, touch. Answer from heaven. Answer from heaven. Lord, may freedom come. May freedom come. May freedom come. And may you be glorified. May you be glorified. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. There's a prayer that the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron to pray over the people of Israel. The Bible says that there are many, many postures in prayer. One of them is with your hands lifted up. Would you just all lift your hands with me? I just want to pronounce this blessing to you. I'm going to pray it in Hebrew and then in English. Not to impress you with Hebrew, I don't know that much. But since it was given originally in Hebrew, I'm going to give it to you in Hebrew. Yivarechecha Adonai v'yishmerecha the Lord bless you and keep you. Ya'er Adonai panavalecha v'chunecha the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Yisa Adonai panavalecha v'yasemlecha shalom The Lord lift his face on you, his countenance on you, and give you peace. In the name of Jesus, amen.